Welcome to God's Watchmen. Tonight is your host, my oh man, I am all messed up, but that's all right. Tonight we got Austin, we got myself, Caleb, and we got the Bob Mawai. There we go, there we go. And tonight we will be hearing his story, and what I've heard, it is quite the journey. So we thank you for joining us tonight, Bob. Sure. And uh, praise the Lord for allowing him to allow me to mess up in the intro. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, hey, Bob, just tell us a little bit about yourself. What are some things that you like to do today that, you know, your hobbies, your work, and your family, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I'm not that old, but, uh, you know, lately I've been feeling my age, and um, I'm realizing for the first time in my life I'm actually – kind of content and um i'm comfortable with that and i'm happy um i have grandchildren how many they, grandchildren oh we have three grandkids yeah yeah and uh that's awesome they're just a blessing and nice. they just make us so happy hazley's one of them right yeah yeah nice. she's in my uh first and second grade class on kingdom kids you're her sunday school teacher huh wednesday okay wednesday yeah, kingdom yeah. kids gotcha yep. she's awesome yeah, she uh, she's she's awesome. She is awesome. She's a firecracker, and um, I was hoping to share a little bit about her tonight because she's. Um, I think she's a future evangelist. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We can see it. It's she's saved already, and she's only five. And uh, yeah, so she... they keep us busy, and it's it's a blessing. I forgot how cool kids were. <laughs> I love what you said though about just being uh, being content, and it's always encouraging when I'm around Tom and he'll be talking about getting older and how there's a lot of benefits to that when you're a Christian. And he's like, yeah, me and my wife, we just kind of get in our routines and we, we just do what we do and enjoy each other. And life is good as you know, you're younger, when you're younger, you're a little bit like, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's happening? And so I'm happy to hear that. And that's, uh, that's hopeful. And that's awesome, man. Yeah, it was funny you say that because there was a point in my life where I thought I would never reach that, you know, contentment, that place where I was happy. As a youth, uh, I always just imagined uh, I had such a zeal, just a strong, strong lust for life. And mm. I hit the ground running at a young age and I just wanted to swallow life up. You know, uh, I went in headlong and I just kind of, went crazy because I didn't want to miss out on anything. And I always felt like I'm going to miss the next party. I'm going to miss the next opportunity. I'm going to miss possibly the next drug that I might want to try that might make me happy. Mm. Um, and, uh, well, that proved to <laughs> be part yeah. of my downfall. Well, when did that start? You said early age? Yeah, very early age. Um, you know... As I was coming up with writing some things down for this testimony in this podcast, it it really stirred up some old emotions and memories, things that mm -hmm. I haven't thought of for so long. You know, you kind of stuff it, especially as men. We're really good at stuffing things. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just recalled early memories of lashing out as a child, hmm. doing some off-the-wall stuff and not realizing why I did it at the time. Yeah. Now that I'm older and I look back on it in hindsight and I have the Holy Spirit in me, I can clearly see, man, I was really messed up. <laughs> mm. well, do you remember why you were lashing out as a kid? Were you angry, bitter, or was it just because you wanted to do what you wanted to do? I think all of that. Mm. Yeah, a lot of that was uh, all mixed in there. But... I think a lot of it had to do with my upbringing and uh, the way I was raised, that my family life was so dysfunctional and chaotic, uh, mm -hmm. and just uh, my lack of, I just wasn't taught right. And um, yeah, I don't want to dishonor my parents during this interview, Yeah. so I'm going to first say that my parents were great people. They had beautiful hearts. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe, you know, I'm a better person because of their influence in my life. 
mm-hmm. there's a downside to that. As uh, parents, they just weren't very good parents. But as people, they were amazing. So yeah, I have to say that because they really were good people. And they did the best they could do. They were baby boomers, and mm-hmm. um, they really didn't know much else besides the 60s and 70s and, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And so mm-hmm. right. a lot of that played into uh, how they raised me. And um, so they were they were pretty hardcore drug addicts and alcoholics. So there was a lot of dysfunction growing up and being moved around uh, yeah. from city to city, state to state, school district to school district. So at a un- young age, you knew drugs and alcohol, you would say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I-, I knew <clears throat> the partying life and watching it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't partake of it until I was older, like in my 15, 16, 17. Okay. Um. So that's kind of cool. Um, but, it, you know, even that, <laughs> I remember in high school, I, th- I was only 16 or 17, and I got really sick, like the flu. And I remember my dad, he, out of the love of his heart, mm-hmm. he just wanted to see me better. He thought it would be a good idea to shoot me up with Demerol. And he filled up a syringe and uh, shot it right in my butt cheek. <laughs> And I'll never forget, I was like, wow, uh, that really hurt. And then within five, ten minutes later, I was on cloud nine, and I distinctly remember thinking, I've never felt this good in my life. How can I get this again? Yeah. Wow. And that was the change. That was, yeah, the beginning stages of, you know, hey, I want to chase that. How can I find that again? And, um. And in my dad's brain, it's like, man, dad, why would you do that? And I understand why now, but uh, that was a poor parental decision to make. And um, that's just the kind of people they were. Yeah. But uh, that being said, um, they had a lot of good to offer, you know. Like I said, my dad was an amazing, had an amazing heart. He had a love for animals. He used to own a pet store. Hmm. And... um, he taught me to love animals. Uh-huh. He taught me how to have fun. Uh, my dad, I mean, we had a blast together as a child. He taught me, <laughs> and this is going to sound warped to a lot of your listeners, but, yeah, you know, he showed me how to sneak in the movie theaters, like to go in the back door so you didn't have to pay. And yeah. uh, he used to show me how to do gas runs. We'd go get, <laughs> we'd pretend we were getting gas, you know, and uh, we'd just drive off without paying for it. He showed me how to go to Giant and steal Delmonico steaks, and I remember having a blast doing it. You know, I got a rush, and um, and at the time, I thought it was great fun. And now that I'm older, with children of my own, I'm thinking, Dad, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> That's just warped. Yeah. Hey, when, when you don't know the real truth, the biblical truth, that, that kind of stuff is a way of life, and people are trying to make it. Yeah. So in his mind, in his world, it could have been, I'm just trying to provide for my family, and I'm going to have fun doing it. That's right. How, That's was, right. how was school for you growing up? How was that? School was tough. Uh, school was, I think it was over 12 different schools that I went to, mm-hmm. just being shuffled around all the time. I was always the new kid. New kid on the block. Yeah. Yeah, that whole thing that, you know. And everything that goes with that, you know, you feel like an outsider from the door because there's already pre-established cliques and you're just not part of that clique. So already the cards are kind of stacked against you. But uh, I always had a hard time in school. I always kind of got bullied. I was always a very short, kind of scrawny kid and not very athletic. So I didn't really fit in. I didn't fit in with the jocks. I didn't fit in with the nerds. I didn't fit in with the preps. You know, there's all these cliques, and you just don't know where to find yourself. And um, that, too, played into part of my, you know, drug addiction. Uh, the, the, the druggies yeah. <laughs> were fully ready to accept me with open arms. So I felt quite at home with the druggies because I didn't have to really prove myself to them. They just accepted me. Mm. Yeah. So then out of, like, high school, what is, like, the first – career or thing you did with your life from there oh boy uh out of high school hmm well I never finished high school I got to 11th grade 
Okay. And didn't even get to finish my senior year. I was at Bishop McDevitt in Harrisburg. I was living up on Allison Hill. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I lived on State Drive for a little bit. Did you really? 1402. Okay. I used to live near uh, Derry, 19th and Derry. Yeah, right up the block. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, uh, just living up there in that neighborhood is an experience unto itself. Uh, yeah. So I learned a lot living up there. But um, I didn't even get, I got to, I think it was the summer of my 11th grade of school. And I got carted off to jail. The police came and took me to jail. And they, they took my mom, too. We both went to jail. It was kind of funny. We were both in the back of the squad car together. <laughs> you said in 11th grade? Yeah. What did you do to go to jail, you and your mom? Well, my mom was, uh, she was on the run from parole for many years before that. And uh, they got like a two-for-one deal. They were just happy to see her. They finally found out she wasn't who she said she was. Her alias didn't work. They ran her name, Shoot. found out she had a national warrant for her. And um, they were like, oh, I remember the troopers were... Uh, busting my chops in the back of the car. They were like, hey, we killed two birds with one stone today, Bobby. But uh, Found a wow. gold mine, they thought. Yeah. And, Promotion. Uh, yeah. But, uh, no, I first went to jail for uh, all kind of terrible charges. I had uh, attempted arson, aggravated assault, I think risking catastrophe, all kind of bad stuff. Uh, now, did you do all this stuff while you were on drugs? Or just in the midst of the thrill of life, the adrenaline, and I don't know. No, that's a fair question. Uh, I actually did it stone cold sober. <laughs> that's the sad part. Mm. Uh, it And it's not what you think. It's not how it sounds. Um, maybe I should build up to that. But basically <laughs> what happened is there was a family feud in my family growing up, a huge rift. And, um, ah, man, I don't even know where to start with this, but I had a problem. My mother and my uncle had a lot of problems and they fought together a lot. And my, I witnessed my uncle beat my mom up at a family picnic. He ripped her out, ripped her out of a car, pulled her hair and he spit on her and punched her in front of everybody at a picnic. Yeah, And I saw this when I was a little boy, and it had a tremendous impact on my life. And he was a very well-established, well-liked, wealthy uh, businessman. And um, <clears throat> he was never held accountable. In fact, nobody in the family even batted an eye. It was in back in the 80s, and that's just what happened, and nobody said anything. It's just what men did. And uh, But as a kid, you see your mom get beat up. The first thing you want to do is defend her. <clears throat> and um, um, that was the only time I ever witnessed him, you know, physically hurt her. But I I saw him after that spit in her face because she had asked him for money at one point. We were all supposed to go to Sesame Place in Philly, and I was watching through the car window him spit on her just because she asked for money. And so it was a lot of mistreatment. Anyway, um, as we got older... My grandparents were on vacation, and I took some of my knucklehead Harrisburg friends <clears throat> to their house while they were on vacation, and I always had an open-door policy at my grandma's house, and I went in to make snacks and hang out, watch TV mm-hmm. with my friends, two friends, and apparently my uncle was in charge of watching the house <clears throat> while they were away, and he did not appreciate the fact that we were there, and he attacked me. And he came at me, and he started kicking and punching me, mm-hmm. and I defended myself. And until uh, it was all said and done, he took the worst end of it. His septum in between his nostrils and his nose got broken, and he had to get surgery. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, I was the one that got charged out of it. I got a simple assault charge. Uh, he knew the judge. He went to school with the judge. He was friends with the judge. And I pled guilty because I was young, dumb, broke, had no money or a lawyer. So you just plead guilty to stuff. And um, mm-hmm. anyhow, that uh, made me think, you know what, I got to get revenge on him. So, and I knew enough to know I don't want to hurt anybody. So like maybe a year or two later, I decided I'm going to set his business warehouse on fire. Mm. And there was no... In the warehouse, there was no 
anybody even really near the warehouse. So I got the broad idea. I'm going to start this warehouse on fire. And, you know, in a goofy 17-year-old kid's head, this makes sense. I'm yeah. going to retaliate for the harm he's caused me and my mom. And he's rich, so I knew I can get his attention by hitting him in the wallet. And I figure this will hurt his finances. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, anyway, to make a long story short, <clears throat> the fire never happened. It just kind of smoldered out. It was a fireproof carpet. <laughs> and his insurance covered anything anyway. He got a little bit of smoke damage. God was pre protecting you early on. He was. He really was. But uh, that was the arson. And that was the risking catastrophe. Mm. <clears throat> that was... They threw like seven different charges at me. So that's what that was. And um, <clears throat> that's what the police uh, were looking for me for. And then they carted me off after they had me. So that led to 10 years of my life uh, being in the parole system. <clears throat> and I ended up doing five years total in jail. But that was in and out, in and out, back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So with all this dysfunctional stuff going on in your upbringing right you would say that you developed that i want revenge for everything that hurts me or anything that's wrong and from that time i'm i'm just going to guess here that you felt like you might have not got revenge on your uncle that day safe and, to say and them roots of wanting that control to, to do that probably started growing from there yeah big time Big time. On top of drugs and alcohol, yeah. that sin of just yeah. hatred, bitterness started just growing and growing and growing. And um, yeah, want to hear the rest of the story. Well, I'm glad you said that because, uh, you know, listening to the Tom teach the Bible and um, yeah, I forget the Bible, the book of the Bible we were in, but he taught on how we're not to take on offense when it doesn't involve us. When there's a, a two-person quarrel, we stay out of it because God will not give that third-party grace. He'll only give the two people involved grace enough to handle it. But if a third party kind of pries their way into that argument and takes on offense that isn't theirs, God will not give that person grace, and they're going to struggle, and they're going to hit rock bottom. <clears throat> and that was what was happening. Now that I'm older, I can look back and see. Mm -hmm. As a little boy, I was taking on uh, offense uh, for my mom that was not mine to take on, and I wanted to defend her and protect her, and um, that was not mine to take. So I lived uh, a long period of my life <laughs> struggling in and out of jail, learning the hard way over that bitter root that, hey, I'm the... Uh, the the Avenger, you know, it's my job to be the defender. I'm the great guy that, you know, like I'm the victim and everybody else is the offender and I have to defend myself by attacking them, right? Mm -hmm. They're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Well, that kind of mentality <laughs> only takes you so long. Like I was the monster. I became the monster and the Avenger, the bad guy. And I made other people the victim. And, um, and a lot of guys are going to, are going to relate to that. That's in our nature is that, you know, we want to, we want to step up and be the man, but when you don't have the biblical worldview, you don't, you don't understand that. You don't have, you know, God's wisdom. That's right. And I'm sure tons and tons of boys have seen their mom, you know, yeah, get hurt physically. And that's tragic, tragic, terrible. Yeah, it is. We look at <clears throat> Saul, that jealousy and that bitter anger against David want to be this powerful warrior and he wanted to take him down and i'm gonna kill him yeah and that's just in our nature yeah if we yeah not in christ that kind of stuff starts to take over yeah and in christ through his grace we're able to oh absolutely yeah. we try to do things in the flesh and uh we just you know make a nightmare out of it, it and we have to learn the hard way especially me. I learn best the hard way. I learn mm -hmm. by failing a lot. I'm kind of a thick-headed man, so it takes me a while to learn, and um, I have a lot of failures to share. <laughs> so you said at 17 you were arrested, and then for the next 10 years you said you were in and out of jail, right? Yeah. So through that time, or however long till 
you came to Christ, would you explain how in these events leading up to Jesus coming to you and saving your life, I know that you got married, I don't know about that, so would you lead us into leading up to your salvation? Sure, sure. And and when did Tessa come into yeah. the, the picture and the mix of, of all of that? Yeah, so basically um, I always kind of knew there was a God. Uh, I just didn't really pay much attention. Um, and for any grandmothers or grandfathers that are listening, please don't stop. Uh, please, please, please keep praying mm-hmm. <laughs> for your grandkids. Because I know that it's only because of the prayers of my grandma that uh, that I'm saved. And mm. she would cart me off to church when I didn't want to go. <laughs> she would wow. make me take a bath and put on nice clothing and take me to uh, to church. And uh, I hated it at the time. And I thought, man, I can't relate to these people. And this is just weird and I can't understand it. But um, I know it's in those early days that at some point Jesus got into my heart. And... Uh, I'll never forget when I was young, I lived in Mechanicsburg at the time, and uh, me and my brother were left alone. We were often left alone, and um, I had a cat, and um, something inside my weird little twisted kid brain thought it'd be a good idea to put these little toy plastic handcuffs around the neck of my cat and make a leash so as to walk him around like a dog. In my head, I thought this would be a great idea. And um, I put these plastic little handcuffs around the cat's neck and the cat started to struggle and the handcuffs got tighter. And the more he struggled, the tighter they got. Well, handcuffs were real tight and the cat was, you know, losing air. So it started freaking out and biting and clawing. And the more it struggled, uh, the more freaked out I got. Mm -hmm. And it just ripped into my hands and it was dying right in front of me. And it was super, super like traumatic and crazy. And it was loud and chaotic. And I'm trying to get these stupid handcuffs off this cat's neck to save its life. And it's just fighting me and biting me and clawing me. And I knew enough at that time that I can ask Jesus. So I got on my hands and knees while the cat's dying. And I just, I cried out to the Lord. I said, Jesus please help me to find these keys because I can't find them. Me and my brother searched through the house and we couldn't find them. And then right after that prayer, I walked into the bedroom and there on the floor was the key. Wow. And um, I got the key and I opened it up and the cat was fine. I took them off and my hands were destroyed. And, uh, but at that moment I was like, wow, you know, this Jesus thing is real. How old um, were you? I was only a little boy, maybe nine or 10, I think. Wow. But um, I knew he was real. And, um, but, you know, it, it, nothing, it didn't stick. And uh, you just carry on uh, the way you carry on until you hit rock bottom, until you need him again. You know, then it becomes real. Um, but I guess to bring it up to date, uh, one of my stints in jail, uh, the old chaplain at the jail was a guy named Martin, Don Martin. He was a good guy. And um, I remember going up to church. Uh, I was on one block, and I remember him doing a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, I just broke down in tears, and I couldn't figure out why I was crying. And, um, you know, he said a prayer with me, and he said, Bobby, you're crying because the Holy Spirit wants in. Mm. Uh, would you like to accept Jesus at this point into your heart as your Lord and Savior? And uh, I said to myself in my brain, I'm only going to do this if Jesus helps me get out of jail. Mm. I said, I'll accept him if he lets me out. That's how I'll know he's real. That was kind of my fleece before the Lord. And um, I went back down into the blocks, and my minimum date came and went. I never got out of jail because I had gotten in trouble while I was in jail. And that's when I kind of turned away from Jesus. I decided consciously, yeah. You didn't keep up with your end of the bargain. I don't want you now in my heart. Mm. So I turned away from him. And it took me maybe five more years to fall on my face (laughs) more times till I finally got on my knees. And that's where my wife comes in the picture. Yeah, explain the whole... I know you got a big story here with your wife, so Mm -hmm. uh, if you would want to 
You want me to jump into that? Explain to the listeners now what your next probably big chunk of what we're going to be talking about is about your testimony with your marriage and how this could help those out there in a struggling marriage or or whatever. So if you would like to explain to these people what you're about to share. Certainly. Yeah, so, you know, all that baggage uh, that I had talked about earlier, it just really condensed and got worse. And as fate would have it, my mother ended up being murdered. And so that kind of rocked my whole world. And um, coming to grips with that, I was 21 years old. And um, I was in Florida on the run myself. Uh, and there was just so much death. My, my brother was killed in a car accident when he was only 17. And that was a truly gut-wrenching kick in the gut. And um, there was so much death and loss in my life. So I brought all that baggage uh, to my relationship with my, uh, my girlfriend at the time was Tessa. So we, um, we met at a party and uh, immediately we, we liked each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she um, had a boyfriend and um, the boyfriend was uh, Avery's dad. Avery's my stepdaughter. And um, that's an entirely different story. Yeah. Again, I don't know how much, how far to go into with these different stories, how far I can go into. Allow the Lord to lead, whatever. All right. Um, but through all kind of drama uh, with uh, Avery's dad, uh, Tessa and I, we ended up getting together and uh, trying to make it work as boyfriend and girlfriend. But, you know, we both brought all of our baggage to the relationship, so it got really chaotic. And then, uh, you know, we were both partiers. We both liked to do drugs and both liked to drink. And um, I had placed entirely way too much value on my friends and not enough on her. And even after we had our son Lucas, you know, I still wasn't placing the proper value on her. I was still placing the value on my friends. And, um... uh, she, through the Calvary radio station, had started to see that that life was empty and mm. her heart was longing for something deeper, something more spiritual. And, you know, God was wooing her to him. And uh, wow. he he used the radio station to do it. So Tessa started to come to Calvary Chapel and um, she started to change and uh, act differently. And um, she stopped doing drugs. And uh, I remember thinking, well, she's just weird. What's going on with her? Like, <laughs> Did she mention she was saved or like she found Jesus in this time? Well. <laughs> or Jesus found her, I mean. She, yeah, she did. She said, you know, I, I want something different. The old way of life is just proven empty for me, and I'm not happy anymore in that life. And she basically said, I want you to come along in this new life, mm. but as you are, you know, you're clearly not ready and uh, I was playing catch-up, you know. I, I was just uh, still running around. A lot of it was behind her back now because I had to hide it from yeah. her. Were you guys right. married yet? Uh, no. Yes, at this point we had gotten married. Okay. So we were together for probably like seven to ten. We were probably together for ten years before the marriage. All right. And then um, after the marriage, you know, we were still both kind of mixed up, but then she had decided to give her life wholly and completely to the Lord. Um, How many kids did you have at this point? uh, Just two. We have uh, Lucas and Avery. You know, I consider her my daughter. Okay. And um, so Lucas was still a little boy, and um, I was in and out. I went to a rehab and uh, still couldn't get clean. Um, And, you know, my violent past and her violent past— she, uh, you know, we would bring that together for our arguments and oh yeah, we, uh, we, you know, I, I got to the point where I was starting to grab a hold of her mm-hmm. and grab her by the arms and push her around because she just wouldn't listen to me or she was fighting me. So it got extremely dysfunctional and violent on both of our ends. And, um, yeah. this was just how we kind of did things. Just, this is how we lived. And I remember I crossed the line and I remember the night that I did it cause I had never struck her and, um, We'd gotten in a pretty nasty fight, 
and I was drunk and I was mad at her and she wasn't willing to budge and I wasn't willing to budge. And I remember thinking, I can't speak this out. So I'm going to have to show her how Mm. angry I am. So I, I punched her and I hit her in the face Mm. and she looked at me and she stepped back and she was just like, I can't believe you just did that. Yeah. And as soon as I did it, I was like, Oh my word. I can't believe I did that. Yeah. I crossed the line. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was a wake up check. That was, uh, that was pretty hardcore because I'd always told myself I would never do that. Yeah. I have memories of my father and my mother going at it. Mm -hmm. uh, And I always said to myself, I'm not going to be like that guy. And, uh, there I was being just like that guy. And, um, so the police came, she called the cops and then, um, she actually recanted her story. <laughs> She's such a gracious woman. She was so she forgiving. You. She loved me. And she had my freedom, you know, in her hands. And, and she decided not to press charges. And she told the police it was all right. So they left. Uh, by the glory of God, I'm so grateful. And um, we ended up working through it. But, um, you know, she got some advice from Pastor Tom, which turned out to be really good advice. Mm-hmm. And the church had advised her to get a, you know, a trial separation period of six months that we should separate until we can get our minds right because it's just it's just not safe what did that do to you well i thought it was a horrible idea i mean i went kicking and screaming the entire time i thought it was preposterous and i said to myself you know this is never going to work statistically people that separate they're bound to get divorced yeah you know, and I'm not going to divorce my wife. If I come home and find another man in my house and my son hugging him or my wife hugging him, I'll kill him. <clears throat> I said, I'm not doing this. This is no way I'm doing this. And, um, well, she, she was a prayer warrior. <laughs> Till it was all said and done, I found myself living in an apartment on Cumberland Street above a bakery shop. <laughs> okay. For six months. For six months, yeah. And I still had to pay the bills at my house. Which I didn't agree with, but again, <laughs> prayer changed my heart on that. <laughs> and at this time, you still haven't received Jesus. No, still not. Okay. I Sweet. still refuse to uh, accept him as my Lord and Savior. Mm. Like I shared earlier, I'm, I'm a very thick-headed, strong-willed man, and I'm stubborn. And um, I still thought I could play this game of on the fence. Like in front of her, I'm clean and sober, but... Yeah. She's not around. I'm out with my buddies. Mm-hmm. You know, living that crack. Double, that or, double life. Yes, a double life. Absolutely. And um <clears throat> that kind of all came to uh kind of all came to a hilt. And um it just wasn't working anymore and I had to make a decision. The climactic point of this madness um I went out to a strip club with my friends. And this is even after this six-month trial period. I came back home, oh. and I was doing better. Yeah. But I was still trying to pretend. And mm. uh, I like that. Pretend. Yeah. You knew it. Oh, absolutely. Pretend. Absolutely. And uh, I went out to the strip club with my friends, and, um, you know, we got drunk, and we're, we're snorting cocaine. And my friend for... <laughs> I don't know why. Well, I do know why now. But for some reason, he decided to pull money out of the ATM at the strip club in Harrisburg, and he kept a receipt in his pocket. And um, we went home, and uh, his my friend's wife was Tessa's best friend. And uh, my wow. friend's wife did laundry the next morning and found the receipt. Mm. And she called my wife up immediately, and both of our alibis, which... Were, I think we said we're going to the casino. Both of our alibis were busted, yeah. and we were caught. And um, just as a side note, I think it's hilarious. God has a sense of humor because it's like, <laughs> I know God was in that. He had to have his hand in that because what kind of meathead leaves a receipt from a strip joint <laughs> in your pocket? Like, who does that? Nobody does that, right? Yeah. But God knew, hey, I want his wife to find this when she's doing wash. Wow. God, you know, God has a way of making it all come out in the wash. Yeah. And it certainly did. And uh, that receipt was the beginning steps of uh, forgiveness and redemption. And uh, 
So Tessa found out that I went to the strip club and that I was still doing drugs. And once again, you know, up to my old antics. And the old Tessa is a feisty Italian woman um, with very passionate, who's not afraid to say what she feels. And there have been so many nights where I came home and there were just bottles being thrown and fists being thrown at me and just mm-hmm. yeah. clothing out in the yard, you know, the scene. And um, that's uh, fully what I expected when I came home. And um, she didn't do it. She didn't behave that way. She was very quiet and somber. And she talked to me. She said, hi, how are you? I said, I'm good. How are you? She said, I'm okay. She said, it's good to see you. She said, I made supper. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, come on, come in the kitchen. And I walked into the kitchen. (laughs) She had the table set so beautiful. She had a beautiful red tablecloth, candles, and plates. She made spaghetti meatballs and this really good sauce <laughs> that she makes homemade and she made a salad that all the trimmings croutons cheese lettuce you know she put her heart into it she put lots of tlc into it mm-hmm. and she served me supper that night and uh that's finally what broke me because i didn't deserve that And she had allowed God to humble her and use her in a mighty way to serve me when I didn't deserve it. And uh, I remember the next day I went out on my steps. I have some concrete steps that go down the front of my house. And I remember just sitting down on the steps and praying and asking God, why can't I be fixed? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep hurting this woman? And I strongly, strongly, strongly felt God telling me, not audibly, but he told my spirit, "Yeah, Bob, you are dangerously close to losing this woman who is my daughter. Hmm. And you need to stop playing both sides of the fence. You need to stop. You need to grow up because you're going to lose her and you're going to lose your family. And it was then I realized um, I'm I'm pushing the envelope too far, and I don't want to mess with God. Mm. And I'm reminded by um, I forget what it was. I think it's the Book of Job, where somebody says, you know, how dreadful it is for a man to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> you know, God will only take so much, and I don't want to be on His bad side. And the Lord used the goodness of His mercy, mm. uh, His heart through my wife to show me I'm going to give you one more chance let's get this right and that's when uh, we started to get it right I started to come to church with her mm-hmm. I started to go to Bible studies with her we started to pray um, and I went to a uh, Knights of the 21st Century meeting at the YMCA probably about nine that was eight nine ten years ago and uh, my campfire leader and facilitator Tom Stam, who actually turned out to be my mentor and friend, spiritual advisor, Tom Stam, in the middle of the the campfire setting, said he took a chance. He had courage, and he said, Bobby, would you like to give your heart to Jesus Christ right now? Would you like to rededicate your life to him? And I said, absolutely, I would. And then I got on my knees, and he got on his knees, and we both said the salvation prayer, and... Uh, yeah, stuff really started to change after that. And it wasn't overnight, you know, it it took time. The sanctification process took many years to get to where I'm at now. Yeah. How long has it been from there till today? Oh, man, Uh, maybe like 12 years or something like that. 12 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Praise God for using Tessa. And her faithfulness, her dedication to prayer, her love of Christ, knowing that she didn't give up on you. Amen. 
and she truly loved you. And to hear that, for her to be able to serve you after all that. Oh, absolutely. That just, I couldn't imagine what you felt. I'm sure it was, that was God's love through her that day that broke you. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. But it, and she's going to share more of this on her own, but it took her having to finally surrender me Mm. to him. Whereas before, her way was to fight and judge and nag and pick, like the Bible calls it, a dripping faucet, right? That was, but that wasn't working, but yet we couldn't stop doing it that way. We were in this toxic dance together for so many years. The way you said that, how to surrender you, it sounds like my mom, she never gave up on me and She said it wasn't until the day that she surrendered me. Lord, he's in your hands. I can't do this no more. Mm. And I remember the day my mom said, I'm done. And it really wasn't long after that until I came to Christ. Something in the heavenlies broke. Absolutely. There's such a spiritual element to this thing that we call life that we can't see. And it's only after we like really start to obey the biblical principles in his word when we can witness yeah. those spiritual things happen. Do you remember early on when all this was going on, any scripture that like really grabbed a hold of you in the very beginning when all this was going on that that meant that deeply touched your heart that you knew, wow, Jesus, you are speaking directly to me. Yeah, I would have to say, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God, Mm. and all these things shall be added unto you, Uh, for sure, because uh, I couldn't figure it out before God, you know, it was only after God where I started to get sanity, where Mm -hmm. I started to have contentment that we talked about earlier, right? and where I finally got my family. And uh, a lot of people attribute that verse to, you know, maybe money or, or success and prosperity. No. <laughs> no, no, no. There is so much more value in relationships. Yeah. Looking at, you know, how God is taking you from a broken man to where you are today, um, and you're talking about relationships. Um, what are some like things that you and your and your uh, wife now enjoy to do together? Like, what is if you could paint a picture of the life you have in Christ now with your wife? Yeah, to someone who's like an unbeliever who doesn't understand that at all. Wow. Yeah, I would have to say we're at the point now where we're getting along so well that we're best friends and um it's kind of like it went full circle you know we used to always be best friends and then it just got you know terribly rotten only for god to step in and now we're best friends again and um i just heard a saying and it was really profound and it stuck out in my head and it applies to my marriage they say that Happy marriage is like a long conversation that always seems too short. And that's kind of how me and Tess are now. We love talking. We love just being together and serving. Now, I mean, of course, it's not perfect. We still nitpick, but, oh, boy, the the hate's gone. The intensity is gone. God has tapered all that garbage away. And uh, we we enjoy serving together, believe it or not. We, um, We like serving a church. We enjoy going to corn mazes with our grandkids. Uh, yeah. We just find pleasure and fun in, uh, in real things now. It's no more additives, preservatives of alcohol and drugs. It's, it's yeah. real life stuff now. So what are some of the things that God has you both serving together in? Like, how do you guys serve the kingdom of God together? Like, instead of doing drugs, mm-hmm. drinking alcohol, partying, 
fighting, hitting each other, or or whatever the case may have been. What yeah. what do you guys do together now? You know, it, it's funny how you just put that. It, it's comical. Like I said, God has a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. That's who we were. I can't see it. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It, it, uh, now we're actually like uh, Sunday school teachers. Okay. <laughs> like yeah. we helped out Susan Dubs a few weeks ago. Uh, my wife was teaching, and I was her little helper, sidekick, and we did two sessions with the kids. The sidekick. Yeah, it was it was something powerful, man. It was great, and mm-hmm. um, I just love kids, and uh, so that's the kind of stuff that we're doing now. I know. Um, do you help minister to any addicts today? I'm. I don't really know you on that side, but I'm sure God has used you. Yeah, I um, I was asked to help take a lead position at the Knights of the 21st Century. Okay. So I'm starting to get uh, more involved with that. All right. And um, uh, I have friends, you know, a lot of friends who we used to party with mm-hmm. that um, God has popping up in our path, and I'm, I've been directing them to the Lord. And uh, shout out to my boy TJ. Terry, <laughs> yeah, I know you can do it, Terry, and uh, we're still praying for you, Terry, and um, just people like that that have always been good quality people, yeah, that just got sideways on the drugs, mm-hmm. yeah. but God sees their heart, and they have so much potential. <laughs> yeah. That diamond in the rough, right? But it's His word that it actually brings that to fruit. So yeah. I can tell Terry loves you. He's a good. And I told him we were going to sit down. He's yeah, yeah, I want to sit in. He, but, he's a good dude, man. Yeah. He, he's got a pretty cool testimony, too. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. We are hitting the end of our time slot. All right. But, uh, just just awesome. So to, to explain to uh, you guys who are listening, um, we're planning on having uh, Tessa come on and give her side of the story, her uh, testimony, and then we want to bring them together to talk about it all and have them listen to each other separately. We think that'd be really fun. And we'd love Bob and Tessa. So I'm going to, do you guys have any final words before we close it out? I just had one last thing. Today, if you were to share anything with anybody, I know God, uh, in our time spending with them, there are things that, he might be putting on our hearts. Is there anything that the Lord is speaking to you lately that could be an encouragement to anybody out there listening through your quiet time with the Lord? Go vote. Go vote. <laughs> vote your values. Mm-hmm. Don't vote for the candidate. Vote your values. Amen. I don't know if I'm going to say that. Maybe we could edit that out. I'm not entirely sure. Um, what was the question again? Just, is there anything the Lord's speaking to you? Yeah, I guess um, I'd like to say, don't give up. Uh, Just don't give up on the Lord. He hasn't given up on you. And um, a lot of this sanctification process is hard, and I see it a lot, you know, especially with the U-turn guys just waiting you know we as ex-addicts we expect immediate gratification Mm -hmm. we don't get that sometimes and um this sanctification process is hard and long and um it's worth it in the end it really is and i just strongly encourage some of your listeners to keep coming to church and to find a small group and uh to just really persevere and get involved with the church because it's um, the church had such a profound effect on my and my family's uh, health and well-being and spiritual life and the way they've surrounded my family and loved on them. Uh, I know the church is getting bigger, and a lot of people might feel like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't fit in anywhere. There's already these pre-established cliques, and I mm-hmm. can't get in here. How do I get in? And my advice is just don't stop keep making phone calls, keep reaching out to people in the church, and eventually you're going to form these really strong bonds. Yes. They're unbreakable. And um, I brought a picture to show of uh, this is this is how cool the church body can be. I wish this podcast was all uh, video too because Caleb's dad, Brian Smith, took this picture. This is my son, 
and he's surrounded with about 40 other kids in his youth group. Mm. And there's not one open eye or erect head. They're all bowing in prayer with hands reached out and they're surrounding my son and they're giving him a good old fashioned spiritual send off. He's going to uh, a pretty hard school in Virginia and um, it was a pretty heavy issue and uh, it took a lot of fasting and prayer, but he decided he's going to take the plunge and go there and they gave him a good send off. And that's the kind of thing that the church is doing. It's the Holy spirit and it's real and it's still very much alive. It looks like there's 40 some people. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Isn't that an amazing picture? That's a beautiful picture. Prayer warriors. Yep. Powerful. So that's my advice is just to keep persevering with the church. Amen. God will do more through our prayers than anything we'll ever do physically. Amen. Mm. And he proved that through your wife's prayers. Oh, he did. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll close this out. Lord, I thank you. Um, I thank you so much for uh, this time and for Bob's Bob's testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm moved um, by your love, um, how you break us with your love and the work that you've done, Lord. I praise you for that. And uh, I just challenge anyone listening who right now feels broken by God's love, by this story. Just pray that you would give um, your heart to Jesus. Just open invitation right now. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Um, I've sinned, and I need you to forgive me. I know that you've died on the cross for my sins, and I just want to receive you as my Lord, as my Savior. Uh, Please do that. And... um, Yeah, we just praise you, Lord, for this testimony and this time and for your faithfulness, Mm -hmm. how you took Bob from just a broken, a broken man, a terrible um, just childhood. um, And you sought him out and you showed him grace and you spoke to him and you waited. We just praise you and we just thank you. And I know a lot of people are looking for contentment and for life. And uh, we just praise you that you give life and life abundantly and that you're good and that you're preparing a place for us as well. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.